This is Josh Mills. And this is John Mills. Oh, wait. That's not John Mills over there. Who is that over there? This is Seth Barlow. Seth, we are happy to have Seth back on a wonderful wine episode. And Seth and I are doing some of our fall favorite wines. And this is going to be kind of in junction with an article that's going to be coming out on Seth's column. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Mm -hmm. you, You can on Seth's column called Bottle Shots, which is which runs in the Arkansas Democrat Gazette every Wednesday. Every Wednesday. So the day before our episode's release, check out Seth over there. But we're doing uh, so our, some of our favorite fall wines. Seth, what are you doing and what are your pairings this week? Because you got quite a few. Yeah, so this week I have got a Pinot Noir, a single vineyard Pinot from one of my new favorite producers. This is actually the only wine club that I am a member of. So this is Waits Mast Family Cellars. This is their 2014 Mariah Vineyard Pinot Noir. It's grown way up in the uh, Mendocino Ridge, far northern California. Okay, very cool. Now, what is the wine club that you're a part of that that came from? It's the Waits Mast Family Cellars Wine Club. Waits Mast. Waits Mast. Okay, very cool. And then this week, I am doing one of my one of my personal favorites, the Juan Gio Silver label, which is their monastrell wine which is also movedra which is going to be which i love i really love movedra so it's going to be fun to drink and talk about and seth what did you bring as your pairings this week um so much um which is (laughs) mostly caused by by desperation and and lack of prior planning (laughs) but um got a couple different charcuterie items so we've got um some duck ham some orange and pistachio salami two different kinds of pork prosciutto some copa and some loma good luck knowing what those mean <laughs> they both look delicious so i got them both nice uh, and then we've got some uh, truffle deviled eggs along with some bacon wrapped dates and both of those come from a great local restaurant called the pantry yeah so seth's got a wonderful wonderful board there and for me with my pairings i have two different burrito tacos from tacos de burrito de mary is down in southwest little rock it's close to where i work and i have a, just a regular burrito taco that's got cilantro and lime on it and then i have the a queso uh, burrito taco so that's got like, everything but also with uh, a little cheese there and then i have some humboldt fog and then with the burrito tacos obviously we have the consomme to go with it so uh, this is going to be it's going to be lots of fun Absolutely. It's been a while since you've been on an episode. It's been too long. Yeah. We can't let it go that long again. No, definitely not. So I'm I'm very excited about this. But before we jump in, Seth, we had a blind west last week. And let's see here. I called it a Irish whiskey because it was very woody, but still had that kind of barley or you know, grain note of a whiskey. Seth, you've got the envelope. What was it? From right here in Little Rock, it was Rocktown Distilleries, Hickory Smoke bourbon yeah. oh, okay so it was a very smoky yeah yeah it was a it's very smoky and woody so that's kind of why i was getting all those uh all those wood notes but now it's time for seth and my favorite part when it comes to uh drinking the wine so we are going to start let's go ahead and what do you think should we start with the pinot noir or should we start with the monstro um, I think Pinot's a little lighter, so let's uh, let's dive into that first. All right, well, we'll start with here. So, Seth, why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about this, and I'll get into smelling it. Sure. So, I discovered Waits Mass Family Cellars um, maybe four years ago, four or five years ago, um, and of course, they didn't ship to Arkansas. Um, I oh. discovered them 
course. <laughs> at a at a big tasting with a bunch of friends um, from out of state. I fell in love with these wines. I was able to get some uh, on a trip to California. Um, and I've just fell in love with them since. I'm a big fan of California Pinot to begin with. And these are some of my favorites. Um, they do a lot of single vineyards, especially up into that Mendocino, Alexander Valley, uh, excuse me, Anderson Valley area. Yeah. Um, and this one, this is their Mariah Vineyard, probably one of my favorite vineyards that they use. It's um, really high on elevation. I want to say it's about 1,200 feet way up where it gets really cold and rainy and foggy and mm-hmm. Pinot's just lovely. Pinot's absolutely love that. Yeah. So for those of you who've been longtime listeners, you know we've talked about Rotorua Estate and Goldeneye. We're up there in that same valley. We're in that up in that same area north of Napa and Sonoma, probably by about what, 20, 30 miles? Um maybe I would I'm better with uh time. Okay, so how long how long I would say maybe it's it's maybe two hours north. Okay, so a little bit farther than that, yeah. And it's also much closer to the ocean. Yeah. Don't quite have as much uh range that'll block it kind of like down down south this is really good this is a i'm gonna say this this is a wine drinker's wine because it's got a lot of this like earthy almost um like rotten egginess but it's not quite there it's got that wonderful barn barn horse sweat brett kind of smell to it i'm getting a lot of that on the nose now, what about their winemaking process? Are they kind of more along the natural wine side, or are they a little bit, is that kind of how their philosophy is, or less intervention? Yeah, I would definitely say they're pretty low intervention. Um, their winemaker, whose name I'm completely blanking on, she's been called out by you know, several publications. I know she's a favorite of um, Esther Mobley. She's the critic for the um, San, mm. Francisco, San Francisco Chronicle. Mm. She just you know, makes these ethereal wines um, that really yeah. focus on just, you know, the terroir of each site, each of their single vineyards is, is really lovely. And how can I not love the one named for Mariah Carey? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's got a lot of big body to it. But when you get past that earthy, lovely, like um, barn kind of flavors, there's a lot of really bright fruit down there with some, I'm getting like a lot of like, red cherry almost um like almost to like an um blackberry but not quite there getting a lot of that just really red reddish style fruit but it's very fresh it's not overcooked or jammy it's not underripe it's very very fresh sitting down there yeah and i mean the, just the acidity here you know i'm I'm sipping it in between you know bites of charcuterie and things and even after mm-hmm. i swallowed the charcuterie i'm still kind of reeling from the acid in the wine and it's just exactly what i want pinot noir to be mm-hmm. and with the duck ham especially yeah it goes really well with that smoky meatiness of the duck and that you know kind of gamey sweetness of the fat and you're right like you would expect after a piece of duck ham like that your mouth is going to go ahead and dry out but it's still just salivating and going because the acid is super kicking up there now is that acid do you think that acid is more to the climate or the terroir? What do you think? It, what kind of contributes to that acidity level in the wine? Well, you know, Mendocino Ridge, very high in elevation, very cool climate for California. Um, this is very much, you know, I think kind of peak Pinot weather. Um, then, of course, Pinot by itself is a very high acid grape. 
this mm. reminds me of a lot of the um, Coteau Champenois wines that I've had. So that's the still Pinot Noir that they make in Champagne. Okay. That sort of like really racy, really lithe. This is maybe a slightly burlier version, but mm-hmm. again, it's just it's just really so graceful. Yeah. It's almost like getting like, you know, kicked in the face by a ballet dancer. Yeah. There's you, a lot of power and beauty all at once. Yeah, you think it's gonna just kinda overpower everything, but that fin- you can tell there's a lot of finesse from the winemaker that comes through. And it's really good. So you said this is up in northern Mendocino, in Mendocino County. Does it go any does the designation go any farther than that? on the bottle or is it just kind of say besides the single vineyard piece uh yeah so this is you know mendocino ridge which is another sort of a, one of the um furthest north end of anderson valley so that's the sort of ocean side of the valley um, okay. so it's anderson valley kind of goes like south east to northwest yeah um so the closer you get to the ocean you know it just gets colder foggier rainier right um it's a beautiful beautiful place that i think is probably one of my favorite wine regions to to visit these days mm-hmm. and then you know this vineyard specifically i was trying to read on the website i think it was planted way back in the 1970s oh wow um not necessarily sure if these are those original vines i would be a little surprised if they were yeah um, but mm-hmm. i mean it's definitely a site that you can tell has been loved on for generations yeah it's making some some really really good wine man i just keep going back to it and it, it's so good for fall like that that earthy earthy tone on the smell it just kind of sits there and it would be great if it was you know it's what a hundred degree 103 degrees yes. today it's a little here warm. in arkansas here in arkansas when we're recording this but you know drop it you know 20 30 40 degrees you're gonna have that wonderful kind of light sweater feeling and this wine's just gonna kind of wrap you up in it sitting outside on the patio finally yes with my with my fire in the backyard this is exactly yeah. what i want yeah it's a beautiful you know, I'm actually really excited because um, here in about a month or so, their wines will finally be available in Arkansas. Really? Yes. So um, I was able to connect them to a distributor, um, Arkansas Wine and Spirits, and so they'll oh, be cool. they'll be here with I think a few wines um, here in the fall and a few key markets, and then I think expanding the po- portfolio in the spring. Very cool. They also make a really great rosé and um, a white Pinot Noir that has become one of my annual favorites. A white Pinot Noir? That's right. Interesting. I'm going to have to, hopefully that'll come out on the shelves and I'll grab a couple bottles. So you said, so what's the, you said this is about to come into our market here. What do you expect? I mean, it's hard to always guess, but what do you expect the price range of this wine to be on the shelf? Um, You know, it's, it's, it's hard to say, you know, mm-hmm. single vineyard Pinot Noir is, is expensive. It's a luxury product for sure. Yeah. You know, I think as a club member, I think I, I probably paid somewhere in the relatively high 40s for this bottle, um, maybe in the 46 to $49 range. And okay. I think that's a steal, mm-hmm. considering especially that this is you know the 2014, so it's it's got some age on it. I can tell you for, for current vintage wines um, from them, again, you know, as a club member, the prices haven't increased that much. They're maybe $54. You know, I can tell you right now from just selling wine, you know, to customers for years and a shop. Uh, fifty four ninety nine was the the sweet spot for high end Pinot Noir for us, okay. our store. At that point, you know, at that time, we were selling, you know, Mary Edwards at that price. I think we had Flowers at that price. A lot of other big name, very recognizable California Pinots were getting at that price, and they moved really well. So I, I think if if we can achieve that, or if they can achieve that, I'm not 
in any way uh, involved in that decision making process, um, I, I think it bodes well for them. Yeah, because this is this is a really good wine, and you're right. This is on that higher end of Pinot, but I think it's going to it shows shows for the price. You know, this is definitely something that's worthwhile. It's got enough body to it as well for it to be in a restaurant that it can go with quite a few different things. You know, as we're seeing with our security board, you know, we've got a lot of salt heavy stuff. We've got some truffle in there. We have some, you know, kind of the play on sweet and salty here. So I think this is a really good food friendly wine. Now, so this is the Copa. What was, what did you say this was? That is the Loma. Loma. So if I'm remembering right, Loma is a, is a cured dried pork loin. I think um, that's right. And it might be lightly smoked. It goes so well with this wine. Now, the smoky earthiness matches with the earthiness that's coming out from the wine. It's got enough salt to it that really holds up and excites the wine to kind of bring out some of those underlying fruit flavors. Like there's even some that I noticed with this, I was even getting some more of like kind of some herby and like flower kind of excuse me, kind of like tertiary notes with with this pairing. And it's in the it's it's very this has been my favorite bite so far. Have to make sure I eat the other stuff too. I will say don't miss the um truffle deviled eggs. Mm. As someone who, you know, five minutes before we started recording this said, God, these smell terrible. <laughs> um, it's it's a really fantastic pairing. So what what about it goes well? It's just, you know, truffles have that unique earthy quality to them that mm-hmm. I think just is really singing with that earthiness that you get right kind of at the front of the wine. Yeah. You know, I think this wine is kind of interesting and it's showing a little bit different from the last bottle of this wine that I had because it is the earthiness is, is kind of there on the front palate and then the the fruit kind of comes in later on the mid palate and, and on the finish. Um, and it's just sort of like it almost you know, it's like you're walking through a very wet garden and then you see all the fruit around you. Right. You get through the, the herb and the botanical garden and then you walk through a hedgerow and you're, you're in the orchard. It just brings it out so well. And you know what? I just tried it with the, um, the bacon wrapped dates. Dates are, you know, of course, one of the sweetest things you can, you can find in nature. <laughs> yeah. So I was curious how that would work, but I think, you know, the bacon there really sets it off and it's another, uh, Another really nice pairing. So a lot of times I've seen bacon wrapped dates with stuffed with like almonds or blue cheese and almonds. Do you think it would be as good with that kind of uh, bacon wrapped date? Um, that's someone who gets hives when they eat blue cheese. I'm going to oh. just say no because <laughs> I couldn't enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think I think blue cheese is a very interesting ingredient, mm-hmm. especially with a wine like this. I think it could be a little overpowering. You know, I'm um, pouring at a wine dinner this weekend where one of the courses has um, blue cheese as a signature ingredient. And um, yes, I know that menu very well. Do you? Um, <laughs> and, and that was a little bit of a challenge. I think I found two wines that are going to be really interesting um, and I think really fantastic um, for that course. But so the fun thing about so it, it's for me and Jordan and my family. So an interesting thing about that course now that we're talking about it, because by the time this comes out, the dinner will be over. So that, uh, so it's a blue cheese pecan Napoleon. So you basically, you make this, 
blue cheese goat cheese no blue cheese cream cheese and port mixture and that's kind of piped between two pecans and that's what that's what the napoleon actually is so i think there's going to be a little bit of fun like pull down from the blueiness of the stilton cheese that will assist in some of that pairing aspect. He's not telling me the wines, by the way. I'm, I'm not. <laughs> it's all a secret. It's all a super secret. I, you know, I even saw him at the liquor store last night and missed it. Missed one of the bottles. Yeah, well, I think, you but know. It's, it's part of the fun. Well, this is, you know, for anyone who's listening who has never been to a wine dinner with me, which is probably most people. Most probably most people. <laughs> uh, my favorite thing. I love surprises. I love games. So it's not un, unsurprising to show up at a wine tasting and find out you're going to be playing trivia or you know connect the dots or something (laughs) so speaking of that what is your mindset when you're going to plan a wine dinner for somebody and i know for ours we decided to do a lot of like higher end food um how do you kind of think through for you a a wine dinner that may be just with just some some cheeses and then also one that's got a little bit more of the pairing aspect of it how how do you cognitively think through that and how would you kind of describe it for somebody who may want to do it for their friends? Sure. So, you know, if it's just something low-key and casual hanging around the house, um, I'm typically a wine-first person. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll think, mm, I want to drink something from Alsace tonight. And then I'll I'll work backwards. Maybe I'll say, okay, well, let's, can we get some, you know, Thai takeout or Vietnamese takeout or something like that. But when it's something a little more or a lot more, you know, pairing focus, you know, like this upcoming dinner, there's a lot that goes into it. You know, first, you always want to make the customer happy. Um, So, you know, in in this case, uh, George was the customer, and I know her very well, and I knew that uh, she is a red wine person. Yep. And so I knew there did not need to be a single bottle of white wine on that table, (laughs) Um, which, which, you know, at first I thought was going to be a real challenge, and it was a challenge, but it was a really exciting challenge. And so from there, we look at the look at the menu, and you know, um, I want to I want to not give too much away, um, but you know, we try to I try to think about who the guests are, how much do they know about wine. Mm-hmm. In this case, when the guest is you, obviously, there's a pretty good base knowledge of wine. So I try to, um, you know, zig while where some other people may have zagged. Mm-hmm. If you if you Kind yeah, of understand I understand the you. metaphor. Um, yeah, you know there were some places where I thought, oh, okay, well I could pour, you know, I need a light-bodied red. I could pour Beaujolais, or what else is there in the world that we could find? Um, right. And I think I think I will succeed. I don't know. Maybe oh. I'll have to listen to the next episode <laughs> to see what you say about me when I'm not here. No, but. I'm sure. I'm sure it's gonna. I, I'm super excited about it because I know you're gonna blow it out of the water because you're great at it. But let's say you know somebody said. All right, Seth, we're going to be doing a charcuterie board. We're going to have some sweet and salty stuff. And, you know, it's a a normal, an everyday wine drinker. How do you kind of, do you look for like things in the food to kind of match from? I know you talked about doing like a game or some sort of theme to the dinner. How do you kind of pick through that part of it? So this might be a little bit of you know blasphemy, but I would say to to not, um, you know, I think to not what to not try to pick through it too much. Don't okay. overthink about this, because I think at the end of the day, when it comes to wine, 
wine is good, food is good, people are good. So if you are eating food, drinking wine with people you like, you're going to have a good time. Okay. You know, as long as you're not necessarily trying to, you know, do, you know, Sauvignon Blanc with, you know, well done steak or something really, you know, <laughs> egregious, you're going to have a good time. Um, right. And I think that something that's really intimidating for a lot of people, especially I know this because I get so many questions from my column readers, you know, each week of, you know, what do I pair with this? What do I pair with this? I've got someone important coming. I want to impress them. And and that's just a level of anxiety that I don't ever want anyone to feel about wine. Right. This is supposed to be fun. It's supposed to be carefree. You know, we're just here to get drunk. Yeah. Um, that's what I tell people. We're here to get drunk and eat food. I mean, that's why I said, you know, what's a great fall wine? Pinot. Yeah. I mean, it's it's gone with everything, you know, on the plate so far. Mm-hmm. I think it's going to be great with uh, your beer tacos as well. Um, it is kind of something that you can just grab a bottle of and, you know, walk into your average store. You're probably can close your eyes, grab something off the shelf and be pretty satisfied with it. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So your kind of your philosophy behind it is stress as much as you want to stress. Yes. Okay. Go after, if you want to go all in, think about it for hours, do it. But if that's something that doesn't excite you, don't do it. Yeah. Pick things that you like, or you know that the person's going to like and eat what you like and drink what you like. And to be clear, I am someone who enjoys the stress of it. I was, I was up until almost midnight last night rehearsing <laughs> talking points that I'm going to give at this <laughs> dinner on, on Saturday. So I totally get the stressing and the analyzing. I totally get it. Mm-hmm. But if that stress isn't fun, right. if that like anticipation isn't fun, then you're doing it wrong. Yeah. And would you suggest for maybe somebody who wants to like try it, you know, let's say it's a six, a six course meal, maybe pick one or two for your first time to just try it. Okay. Try and analyze that one. See what you like for the rest of them. Just figure it. Just go with what you want. Yeah. Just absolutely. to kind of see if they like that. Absolutely. Going and, and you know, there's, there's no shame in asking for help. You yeah. know, whether it's, it's experts like you or I, or just, you know, the guy who's behind the register at your local bottle shop. There are so many people in the world who love this and who are happy to help. Yeah. Um, you know, feel free to reach out to literally anyone in the world and, and you're going to get probably some really great advice. Yeah. And, you know, I know some of the first times that we've ever done like wine stuff together or you like you've done stuff for me or I've been trying to do stuff for you. I always ask because I'm never afraid to ask, hey, what do you like? What do you don't like? Yeah, I mean, you know, like we've talked about and, you know, people who listen to the podcast know George pretty well because she's been on quite a bit. We know that's white wine's not her thing. We know Chardonnay is not one of my things. We're going to change that, but yes, that's true. <laughs> uh, that's going to be Seth's lifelong mission to mm-hmm. change me on Chardonnay, but it it might be happening, but it's going to be super slow. Uh, it's going to be. It's also going to be some liquor reps thing to change me on mezcal or like Isla scotches. Well, for my sister and dad, I think it is Isla scotches. But anyway, but you talk to that person and say, okay, are there likes or don't likes or things you want to try that you never have? Don't be afraid to ask those questions, even to the people who you may think, okay, they don't know anything. But everybody's everybody's got opinions. Opinions are like armpits. Everybody's got them. So. That's the PC version of that. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay, cool. Now, we've been, obviously, while we've been talking about this, what have you had? Any new bites or any any new experiences with this wine? I love this wine, by the way. 
I, I have to say, well, I'm glad you like it. You may be seeing a um, another one from them sometime in the next few days. I'm excited about Who that. Who can say? <laughs> you can. <laughs> I would say, honestly, uh, so far, and I've, I've not tried it with the tacos yet, I would say favorite bite is with the deviled egg. Okay. I'm, I'm shocked to say this as someone who is an avowed truffle <laughs> loather. Um, I'm, I'm really surprised at how good of a pairing that is. And then um, the, uh, the copa, that's, that's yeah. really nice. The, the loma is really good, but there's something, the, uh, the copa, they're so different. You know, the, oh, yeah. the loma to me is so, um, there's a seamlessness about the pairing, whereas the copa is just so exuberant and kind of in your face. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very, almost like very boisterous in the pairing. And I'm really enjoying that. Yeah, it's because they're kind of, they're kind of opposites. Mm-hmm. They're very much kind of opposite. You know, the the copa is kind of on that, on that sweeter side and very. For our music people out there, we're going to hit into musical tones here. They're very high. It's the copa is very high note. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. very fatty. It's very rich, salty. This wine is very earthy and bottom toned. Very bassy. Very bassy down there. And just those those two put together probably just make a, a beautiful, beautiful chord. I think it's very appropriate that we're discussing Mariah Carey's wine using musical, uh, <laughs> you know, musical the, notes. The Copa is like what? Triple E, triple high E for her. And then, you know, that all I want for Christmas is you. That's way the hell up there. <laughs> and then I don't know her music well enough to say what her low note is, but. That would be glitter. Okay. Okay, so you put those together, and that's what you have here with the, with that pairing. But it does create a bunch of tension. You know, for those of you who've been listening a long time, we talked about contrasting pairings creating this almost feeling of tension between the two, but it works very well. That's kind of what Seth's talking about here. Yeah. And I, I, I don't want to interrupt you, but um, breaking pairing news. The, <laughs> the, 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 the beer tacos with the, the Pinot. Fantastic. See, I think, so Berea... Beer to me is a very fall food, you know, with the tortillas dipped in the consomme and then cooked and the way that the, the meat itself is actually cooked. I, you know, to me, that was kind of why I picked that. I don't even, I don't even know if it's going to go with Movedra. I went with the theme of fall, you know, for my pairings. I've got the, the beer and I've got the Humboldt fog, which is very much a earthy kind of dying season feeling to Mm -hmm. me. But anyway, so what have you been drinking lately that's been good? Too much. Oh, okay. No, that's not true. (laughs) Just enough. (laughs) I mean, you don't drink bad wine, so you're like, was it uh, Ego from Ratatouille? If I don't like it, I don't swallow. That's true. (laughs) Um, You know, I think I've been really lucky Um, just in my life in general, like kind of like you said, I've, I've. If if I'm not gonna love it, I just rather drink water. Right. Um, I'm someone who's not as young as I used to be, um, like a lot of people, and I was just, you know, maybe I can be a little kinder to my body. And so now it's just time for me to drink the wines I really love and I really get excited about. Um I gotta say I'm really excited about Riesling. You know, that's not new. Um <laughs> but especially, you know, here, uh late summer that we've had heading into fall where it's still a hundred degrees. It's it's been you know Riesling weather. It's been Sauvignon Blanc weather. It's been Chenin Blanc weather. As an avowed white wine drinker, I'm yeah. in heaven. Yeah, of course, yeah. Long summers are great for white wine drinkers. 
Absolutely. So, you know, I've been loving, um, especially the off dry wines. Okay. Um, that's, I'd say, kind of been like the unofficial theme for the past couple months for myself is really exploring with that, seeing what, um, what that sweetness can really do to spice levels. Okay. Um, and I would say also kind of out of left field for me personally, I've really been getting into seltzers. Really? Yeah. I know that's not, um, typically my thing at all, Mm-mm. but I've been experiencing or exploring all kinds of different seltzer brands, um, different flavors. Um, I've just been so impressed. You know, I've, I've yeah. kind of took a deep dive one day into the sales reports and seeing like what seltzers are moving out in the market. What's, um, what's kind of happening in that part of the industry. And it's definitely grown up a little bit, it especially in Arkansas. Definitely. But you know, it's actually pretty stagnant, stagnant. You know, there's huge growth from 2019 to 2020, even bigger growth, 2020 to 2021. Yeah. And then it's just kind of flatlined, um, which I think is really interesting. And I, I wrote a column a couple of weeks ago about that, but um, there's some fantastic seltzers out there, even, even here in Arkansas. Lost 40 makes um, the punchy brand, which I really enjoy, mm-hmm. especially the punchy snow cone flavors. Yeah, the snow, they've really hit that hard, and they've done a very good job with the snow cone flavors. And the um, the Scarlet Letter brand from Core. From Core, in yeah. In Northwest Arkansas is, I would say, a top two seltzer brand for me. Really? Well, yeah. So it's Lost 40 and Core? or um, I would actually say above Lost 40, it's, um, it's, a, it's a brand called the Mighty Swell. They are from, uh, I believe, Austin. Okay. And they have some really great, really great seltzers. Again, some really great snow cone flavored seltzers, which I love. Sensing a theme. I, well, you know, I'm a creature of habit. But I also <laughs> think that um, something interesting I've, I've discovered about myself, and I wonder if this is true for others, is I like drinking seltzers out of the tall, skinny can. Okay. You know, there's a lot of seltzers that are kind of out of the regular, you know, uh-huh. beer can. And there's something about just the tossing a can that makes it a little more français, um, a little a little more chic of a seltzer. I don't know. Um, oh my gosh! I, but I think like the the tall skinny can really adds something to it. Have I given you a Sunboy yet to try? No. Okay. So Sunboy, I've been talking about it a bunch. Sunboy is a seltzer. Well, they technically categorize themselves as a canned cocktail brand out of. New York City, uh, the New York City area, and they are spiked coconut water. Okay. So the base speaking my language. So the base is coconut water. They use you know just a a sugar based alcohol that they that they buy. They run at five percent, and then the flavoring are real juice. So okay. they run higher calorie and they run a little bit more sugar, but it's all natural. And they're really, really good. I've been trying really, really hard to get them. I'm going to try extra hard to get them into Arkansas because Arkansas is one of the states that they that people consider a cooler state. Which, Interesting. So cooler as in like temperature or no cooler as in I've got a cooler in my car oh. and I'm going to go to the liquor store and I'm going to buy that with a bag of ice and put it straight in the cooler. I think from my years of retail experience, that checks out. That checks out, yeah. I am frequently that person now. And so they are, they run more of that style, you know, and we have a longer, we have a longer seltzer season than, than a lot of places, but they're also trying to hit that kind of canned cocktail healthy market because they are coconut water. 
Yeah. And it they're really good. The flavors on them are are on point. Yeah. I you know, it's interesting and, and I'm not a flavor scientist, but you know, a lot of people have the same flavors. You know, everyone has a lime, everyone absolutely has a grapefruit. Mm-hmm. There must be something chemically about grapefruit that's very easy to re- reproduce in a lab. But I really have loved the people who experiment with flavor. And that's kind of one thing I really like about especially Scarlet Letter, because yeah. you'll see cardamom and kiwi and you know all these weird cucumber yeah all these things really blended together um so that instead of flavors they have colors so they have red purple and green and i think yeah. a fourth one um and so they kind of you know you, they put the the flavors kind of just on the side in a very small print but they're abandoning that as sort of a guiding principle which i think is such an interesting thing from a branding and marketing perspective yeah it's more about like you said, it's more about the color. Mm-hmm. You know, you drink a scarlet letter or green. You don't drink the cucumber lime or whatever. Exactly. But yeah, by the way, the burrito taco in this wine is fantastic. It's on point. Yeah. It's totally, totally on point. So let's talk a little bit more about the, these pairings a little bit. But then after we switch over to my wine, I want to go a little bit deeper dive into your off dry comment with your wines. Okay. So um, you've been eating a little bit more. Have you had the little. Was it citrus, orange, pistachio? Yeah, they're orange and pistachio salami that's made actually at a place called Ham. That's Hillcrest Area Market. Yes. It's, and, the, uh, du- it's the duck ham place for those yes. of you who are longtime listeners. <laughs> and we do have the duck ham here on the plate. Of course. Uh, it's lovely. Not not my favorite pairing tonight, though. No. Did they have duck prosciutto in the cake? They did not. That's what I was looking for. Duck prosciutto is really good. Next time. Yeah. Those um, of you out there who... You know, might have some influence with them. More, more duck prosciutto, please. Please, um, you know the the orange pistachio salami. Honestly, it's probably my least favorite pairing um, with the pinot so far. Mm-hmm. There's there's a little heat to it. That yeah, okay, that's what I was going to ask you. There's a little fennel that, that's not working. Right. Not 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 a you know a regret, regretful decision at all, but just. You know, we've had some, I think, real knockouts. Um, yeah. Yeah. So this, you know, these wines, you know, being fall wines, um, I don't think are going to play very well with too much heat. I think it's going to be a very, it's going to be a very fine line before they kind of cross over to that, you know, that area. I, I, I'm not sure if I totally agree with you. Okay. So I think that there's a way to do heat that, that this, that could work with this. So I'm thinking maybe, you know, I don't know if you're familiar with Ethiopian food. It's very earthy. Um, yeah. Spiciness is is not necessarily like super heat spicy. It's very like well-rounded. Yeah, that's more like, so it's, I think of it kind of akin to um, Latin American and South American food with like the dry, chili, earthy, spicy mm-hmm. kind of flavors. Yes. Okay. So I think you could do something like that. We don't really have a, a great example of that on the table today, and that's fine. But um, I think there is definitely a way that you can do that because I would say, you know, not to not to totally sidetrack this, but I was you know talking about those off dry wines. Right. I think that in the wine world, we're so we're almost <laughs> we talk about oh well, you know, yeah. it's, it's spicy, so we have to go reach for riesling or pinot gris or whatever. You know, red wine can can handle a lot of spice. Yeah. You know, it doesn't because you know, wine is steeped in French cuisine and culture, and that's yeah. not how French cuisine works. But that no. doesn't mean it's not right. Right. 
there's a lot of, of leeway that you can find here and a lot of experimentation will, will really reward you with something really fun. Yeah. And so going back to like circling to our like wine dinner conversation, that's the fun part to think about when you start to understand outside of Western style foods and you start thinking about wines with those non-Western foods, you start finding the other flavor points or the other things that pull them together. And that's where, to me, I've been really kind of down a Asian, an Asian rabbit hole with my cooking that I'm kind of doing by myself. And Goju Jang has kind of been my gateway into that. And I've gotten a little bit far down that rabbit hole because um, I've done it a lot for people, you know, who've listened to the podcast, you've seen that. But that has been an avenue for me to find new flavors to pair with beverages. Because, you know, we're so steeped in, like you said, into Western French, Italian, those so those sorts of flavor profiles that wine is, is, is like this can, can go very far. Yeah, and, you know, to... to not to delve too deep in this dinner that all the listeners can't go to, but there's um, a course that's pork belly tacos. Pork, yeah, pork belly barbacoa tacos. And I was very, a little, I was a little confused when I saw that on the menu because it, first of all, it comes, first of all, pork belly tacos. That's an interesting choice yeah. for a dinner where we can only serve red wine. And it comes like halfway through the dinner. So, you know, whatever I chose had to work with whatever was going to be served before it. Right. And that's not, you know, it's it's not a particularly Western uh, course at all. And so I think I found something that um, isn't necessarily a very Western wine. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it, it's it's red. Um, and so it's going to it's going to work out and you should should probably put it in right here, like after the fact, what the wines were, just so that they know, just so listeners know what uh, what's going on. Maybe we'll uh, for the next wine episode, we'll bring you back. We'll just talk through through there the entire go. dinner. There you go. But let's go ahead and as you know, as we kind of continue this conversation, let's switch over to the the Monastrel. So yeah. once again, this is the Juan Gio Monastrel. Monastrel is one of the Spanish synonyms for Movedra. So if we, you know, we've talked about GSM Lynn Grenachera Movedra. This is that same grape, but this is coming from a particular region in Spain. One of my Movedra was one of my gateway grapes into being a wine nerd. Oh, it's um, still one of my favorites. Oh, I love it. I love it. I don't think it gets enough credit. And I out love there. that because it's still relatively yeah, cheap. It's still cheap. This is like 13, 14 bucks a bottle. Oh wow. You're shopping in a cheaper place than I am. Well Shop at the place you saw me last night. Okay. <laughs> That's where it was on sale for. But it, it's it it has so much body and so much flavor to it that when I first tasted it after having like Lovegrass Syrah and Chianti's, it was just kind of eye opening that it was completely different. And it was just the Klein Angel Vine Movedra. But it was one of those ones that just really sent me into into figuring out this wonderful beverage. Called yeah. wine, and you know it's funny you you have more venture today, mm -hmm. and we don't really discuss what we're going to bring too far in advance. No, usually that's because we don't know. Uh, <laughs> I think it was like you know two hours before I was like, yeah, I think I'm gonna go pick up a bottle of this. <laughs> but you know, it's funny. I woke up this morning and I, I hadn't chosen what the blind was going to be, and I almost brought a bottle of Muvad, um, and then I didn't because I thought I thought that that may be a little too a little too off the beaten path, um, right? But it would have been fun to do too. Uh, Two at the same time. Yeah. So going back to talking about the menu, 
so like like I said before, I've been really into using gojujang and veg, uh, vegetarian oyster sauce and those sorts of flavors in my cooking. And when George and I were trying to come up with a menu for this, we're like, okay, we need to do steam buns. Steam buns are so much fun. They're so great to do. And I was like, okay, you know, pork belly steam buns. Perfect. But then I start, we started talking and thinking about it. I've done this recipe with pork belly probably 10 times in the last five months. So it's just very done. It's very taken. And so we started thinking about it. I was like, I really want to do barbacoa. I love the idea of barbacoa. I've never done in-ground barbacoa. I super want to do in-ground barbacoa. But, you know, it's Arkansas, so we have about six inches of topsoil. And then we're at rock, so we can't, we can't <laughs> really do, you know, huge pit cooking. And I started thinking, I was like, well. I'd like to be extremely impressed if you were about to do that in your backyard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, I wish, but no. Uh, so I started thinking, I was like, well. And then we talked about doing duck. And I was like, what if we flipped? Because, you know, duck tacos, a little bit more normal, pork belly steam buns. I was like, what if we switch the proteins there? What if I do barbacoa-style pork belly, long sous vide, super braised-like, get it broken down, and then do the duck in that gojujang, oyster sauce, those sorts of flavors, and do the duck steam bun that way? So that was kind of how we came up with that idea. And it was all just because I just I found something, a flavor that I liked, gojujang. And I started messing with it. And I got to see so many different ways that I can pair gojujang with all, all these sorts of beverages that I never would have thought about before. Yeah. And that's actually one of the one of the courses that I initially was most excited about. Because when I saw duck steam buns, I knew exactly where I wanted to go. Um, mm-hmm. and, and this is even surprising. I mean, it's duck. You pour pinot with duck. That's oh, just what of course. you do. Yeah. Pinot That's how and you duck. live your life. So, you know, I'm I'm doing two so I guess, you know, we're really gonna talk about this dinner. You know, the <laughs> the theme of the dinner, you know, at least from the wine perspective, is um everything old is new again. And so each savory course will have two wines that pair with it. And those two wines explore the concepts of old and new in different ways. And so um we're gonna look at two different wines that are very different. They're both Pinot and they're both from the same vintage. Um, but everything about them otherwise is completely different. So I'm really excited to just see how people enjoy them. You know, it's great to attend a wine dinner, but it's also great to organize one because yeah. I love seeing how people react. Even if they don't always like everything, it's just yeah. an interesting thought experiment to get to kind of watch. Yeah, because, you know, Human behavior, and we've talked about this before a ton, palates are so different. Oh, yeah. You have six people at a table, you're going to have six different palates. And there are some people who don't like Chardonnay. It's crazy. I know. It's absolutely crazy that there are some people that don't like Chardonnay because the oaky and is disgusting. But, um, so it's, you're right. It is so much fun to do it from that side of the dinner. But I know I just caught you in a bite, but in just a second, why don't you talk about this wine? Because I, I know what I get off this wine. I'd love to hear what you are kind of getting off the wine and then the pairing, which you just ate. I love this wine. I'm I'm truly so glad you had it today because I don't think I've had this wine in maybe four years. Oh, wow. Um, So it's been a hot, hot minute. And the thing that the thing that I'm getting so overwhelmingly is this note of dried black tea. Yeah, I am a I'm a huge drinker of um, 
you know, just loose leaf tea. And this absolutely is giving me like black tea and a fruitiness that honestly reminds me of like Fruit Loops. Okay. There's like this boisterous high tone, like fruitiness to it. Um, Not almost like a, like a, like if you were sniffing a strawberry um, Jolly Rancher wrapper. Like you're not like, it's not so intense that you're eating the candy, but you're right. getting that whiff of the flavor. Have you ever had freeze dried strawberries? I have not, no. So it's that, it, so to me, it's that kind of, it's that kind of flavor. Very intense, but very, um, almost powder. Mm-hmm. Sure. Kind of feeling and flavor. You just kind of, it's there and then it's gone. Like yeah. it just, it just disappears in the ether of, of kind of the wine itself. Now, yeah. this wine probably comes from an opposite, a very opposite style of growing region than the wine that you Oh yeah. Uh, Southern Spain. Yeah. So we're talking we're talking southwestern Spain. Or excuse me, southeastern Spain here. Um from Wamilla or Wamilla. J U M I L L A. Wamilla. I, I'm gonna guess. I may have to I'm gonna have to talk Someone's to someone. Someone's gonna let you know tomorrow. that you're wrong and that's yeah. fine. I may go to so I have a lot of coworkers that speak Spanish. And I may have to, I'm, tomorrow, I'll probably ask him, it's like, so how do you say this word? And it's probably going to be completely opposite. So this wine region, like I said, is, is from the south eastern part of Spain. It's not coastal, so we're still kind of inland. We're not really, we're near where some cava is made, but we're not quite that far toward the coast. So we're still kind of toward the desert, but we're near this kind of the southern southeastern part of that desert so we're we're very dry here Mm -hmm. we're very hot very dry and you can kind of tell it even just looking at the color of the of the two wines comparatively this wine is very dark and rich in color uh you know movedras of heavy stock a lot of times movedra is used as a blending grape for color Mm -hmm. not really for any kind any type of flavor but you do get a lot of that like deep more kind of rich purpley tones that would be kind of more akin to Syrahs and calves over this, you know, the, the coloring on your, the Pinot is very much lighter in color. It is, but you know, it's almost a touch cloudy. The Pinot. Yes. The I'm, Pinot is. And so there's a little bit, I guess there's a different like filtering or filing element used there. Yeah, I, I would think with how you ta- how you describe the winemaking process, they may not filter that wine as much as this wine no. is very, very much filtered. Yeah. And you know, Juan Gil, um, love this wine, but and it is very much a. I don't mean this in a negative term, but it is a a almost sort of a mass market wine. You can mm-hmm. walk into most any wine shop in in probably, you know, forty eight of the fifty states and find this on the shelf. Um, oh yeah, and that's not a bad thing at all. Yeah, it's it's just it's in an area and it's a style of wine that's done more more as it I guess you could say closer to a table wine style. It's a little bit higher than than let's say just an everyday table wine. But it is it's very well grown and like you said, very easily marketed. Yeah. And and honestly I'm just kicking myself that I don't drink more of it because it's great. I know. And and it and it fits that price point that don't feel bad like we've talked about before about buying bottles of it i've had some older vintages of this i like where it's been aged a little bit and it it holds up it's yeah. got enough body it's got enough structure even though it is a little bit more of a mass marketed wine it has that 
the shoulders to lay down for a while. Yeah. And, you know, they do make a, I don't know if it's officially called like a Reserva, but they do have a, a higher tier bottling. It's got a big blue label yeah, on it. The blue, um, yeah. I've never had it, but it's um maybe maybe we should do that sometime. Yeah, it's very good. So this is a hundred they actually say it's organic, so I would assume they're paying the money for it to be organic. Unlike a lot of wines that are, are organic, which are not, they just don't pay the money for the official label on it. Mm-hmm. It spends twelve months in French oak. And I'm guessing a lot of that is new French oak because it has that kind of oaky nose to kind of show you that there's there's been some time in it. And uh, it runs at around 50%, 15% alcohol. So it is definitely a little bit hotter on the palate. And you kind of feel that. It's almost like, this is going to be a weird thing, but tell me if I'm wrong. It's almost like you have the study of a cold climate versus a warm climate here between the two glasses. Oh, I think that's fair. And Absolutely. not only just in... The, they taste different. Like they t- one tastes like it comes from a more cooler climate, and the other one tastes like it's a little bit hotter. And that may just yeah. be the alcohol presentation of it too. No. Well, you know, I always do my my eye water test. No. So this is one thing I, you know, back when I was I was very new to it, is like I I put it to my lips and then I breathe into the glass with my nose. And does the alcohol make my eyes water? <laughs> if yes, then it's it's at least you know I would say about fifteen percent. Yeah. If no, it's under. Not sure that's scientific, but it's helped me. But it's how you it's how you experience the wine. Yeah. So now as we're gonna kinda get into the pairings a little bit, let's talk about that off dry thing you were talking about. You said this has kind of been the summer of off dry wines for you. What does that mean in a wine term and how is it kind of how's it kind of been experienced in your drinking and also kind of what you put with it? Yeah. So off dry, you know, I'm when we talk about dryness with wine, it's, it's, you know, it gives me a chance to get on my soapbox about how that's a terrible term because it means a couple different things to a couple different drinkers. But for me, off dryness means there is noticeable sweetness to the wine. It's not a dessert wine. It's not Moscato necessarily, but it's, it's got a little sugar in the tank. That's what my uncle says about me. <laughs> um, but, you know, um, and I think that's a great thing, especially at the table. You want that, right? You know, that, that, really diversifies to an extent what you can do with wine. And so for me, you know, drinking a lot of Vouvray, um, a little bit of Sauvignon this summer. I think Sauvignon is another great wine for fall. I think uh, Sauvignon is the Aquarius of the wine zodiac, of course. (laughs) Of course you would. Um, The Aquarius at the table. Of course. Um, But, you know, I think also Riesling, Gewürztraminer, Alsatian Pinot Gris. These are all great wines that, you know, exhibit that little bit of residual sugar in a great, in a beautiful way, you know, in the right, right winemaker's hands. Um, and, and just, you know, kind of like you, I've kind of gone on a little bit of um, a kick. I got a new book called, um, it's by Kenji Lopez Alt, and it's all about cooking with a walk. Oh. I totally recommend it. I think it's just called The Walk or something like that. Um, he, his first book was called The, um, Food lab, is that yes, um, yeah, the food lab. Yeah, mm-hmm. so his first book, his first his first book is fantastic. I've loved it. It's it's completely dirty with with stains that I've put on it. So <laughs> this was his new book, and so just using that, um, you're you're introducing a lot of Asian flavors and specifically a lot of Southeast Asian flavors from Vietnam and Thailand, different places that 
really okay. respond so well to that little bit of residual sugar. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there's even red wines that have that. You know, a lot of mass market red wines have that residual sugar. Personally, it's not my favorite thing, but it's not a bad thing at all. And, and I think, you know, as people who want to understand wine as a whole, we at least have we at least have to explore that ourselves right to find out you know we don't want to say that just because a wine has you know 12 or 13 grams of rs you know and it's red it's bad because that's not true right there are tons of red wines that have sweetness in them and i think you know as we talk about wine you know talking about a wine is bad unless it is flawed is not a great way to be a professional in the industry you know i think a wine is not good to me or a wine is like kind of I talked about your wine. Your wine is definitely a wine drinker's wine. Oh yeah, I would never pour this for someone who was, you know, just drinking barefoot. Right, they because would not enjoy it, it is not something they enjoy. It's not something they would can even conceptually be able to understand as a enjoyable wine. As sometimes when we drink particular wines of more of a mass market variety, or like you talked about that, like you know. Pinots that have some raw added so that they can get some RS and some color in there. Um, not going to name any brands, but there are ones that do that. You and I don't really enjoy those as much because we understand what we what we want a Pinot to be. But we also, I also see those as, hey, this is a gateway Pinot. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. You know, I um, my high school English teacher is someone that will frequently reach out to me via my column and, and email questions in. And she she asked me one day, you know, should I just go buy a really expensive bottle of wine, a, a bottle of wine, and will I understand the hype? And I said, absolutely not. And I and to kind of put it in, in terms that she would understand, you know, in her class, we were reading Macbeth and Romeo and Juliet. And I said, you know, imagine that $100 bottle of wine is Romeo and Juliet. Mm-hmm. And then imagine teaching that to third graders <laughs> you know it's not that's not to say that the, the stories we read in third grade were necessarily better no but they were better suited for where we were in third grade yeah and and i think we have to take that same approach with wine just because something is more esteemed and, and listeners i'm using air quotes here <laughs> esteemed um doesn't make it better again with the air quotes right you have to you have to find a wine that's where the drinker is and that goes back to, you know, the conversation about choosing wines for a pairing or for a dinner. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't matter if I'm opening a $100 bottle of wine for a dinner. Mm-hmm. If if the people who are drinking it aren't prepared for it or aren't ready for it or aren't going to appreciate it, it doesn't matter. Yeah, it, does, it doesn't at all. But in in contrast to that, there should always be something that is stretching you. That And this sure. is, you know, in your in your analogy as the teacher... You know, yes, there are stories that we read in third grade, but there are stories that you can read on your own in third grade. But then there's also the ones that you can hear and you can understand a little bit more with guidance to start to understand. Absolutely. And those are the those are the ones that I always talk about as stretch wines or things that make you beverages that make you think a little bit more heavier about it. You know, you can drink your favorite Tuesday wine whenever you want, but maybe once every every once in a while grab a bottle of maybe something we talked about here on the show that you've never had or something you talk to somebody in a store that they're like 
oh yeah, you should try this, but it makes you feel just that little bit uncomfortable. Give that a try because then you're gonna then and critically think about it. Yeah. Well, so you don't know, just think, drink it. And I think the the Wangil that you brought is a great example. You know, yeah. looking at this, the only English words on this label are wine of Spain. <laughs> yeah. Which I think is great because there yeah. are so many people who will look at a bottle and maybe they don't see an animal on the label. Or maybe yeah. they don't see words in English and they'll put it down. Mm-hmm. But this is one of those, you know, like you said, a gateway wine. Or if you can get that into a customer's hand, they'll try it. They'll love it. And then they'll really quickly just say, oh, well, I want something like that again. Right. What's, what comes next? Yeah. Because this, this wine to me sits in, in that in-between space between Pinot and Cab or Pinot and Merlot. It sits in that in-between space. It's one of the, you know, probably five or six wines I could think of that fit in that in-between space for people who... When you're getting into wine, you want to order something that you know. Sure. This is one of the, this is one of those things. This could this is even in between a Chianti and that Merlot Cabernet, or that or that Bordeaux Bordeaux. If you've tried Bordeaux, you're like, eh, it's, I'm not quite. I, that is not my thing. Give this wine a try, or any kind of Mauvedre style wine, because it's got those. It's got that body and and earthiness that's going to lead you to out of where you've been but it still has the same comforting ripe ripe red ripe red black fruits that black cherry that blackberry and a kind of more on that riper style but it's gonna it's not gonna be what you've had yeah and i think you know just thinking about move in general like there are so many great examples that you know you tried this one and then maybe you go back to your wine shop and you say, oh, I want to try one from France. Yeah. Or maybe you try one from, um, you know, the Walla Walla, Washington. Yeah. Or the Rocks District in Washington. And maybe you try something from, you know. They're, um, they're even doing some in Southern Cal. Yeah, absolutely. Or and then if you want to get really weird about it, let's try one from Texas. Uh, yes. There's some fantastic Mouvet from Texas. There is some great Mouvet from Texas. Because if you think about the climate we were talking about, in this area in Spain, hot, dry, not a whole lot of rain, semi-coastal. I mean, that's Texas. Yeah. That's that's the hill. Those are the hills of Texas over there. You know, they're doing Moved, Tempranillo. A lot of the Spanish style, the Spanish grapes mm-hmm. will grow really well in Texas. I didn't. I totally forgot about that because yeah. we don't we don't have a whole lot in the market right now. I know it's criminal. It is criminal. Maybe maybe somebody can try and change that. So thinking about pairings with with this wine, um, I have to say, I'm not, I don't think this is as universally um, accepting the food the way the Pinot was. No, it's not. I will, I will say, and that's not, that's not a knock against the wine. I think the wine is fantastic. Mm-hmm. For me, I would say the pairing that's working the best is actually the duck ham. Okay. Because I think that duck ham is, it's savory. It's it's almost demure enough to let the nuances that the the wine is showing really come through you know i think the taco really works it's really good but it does kind of overshadow the wine just a little bit yeah and especially with the consomme the consomme has a little bit of the the higher tone spice that kind of really takes over especially it just hits that alcohol kind of just enough that makes it kind of prickle and not not feel super great with with what you're doing 
but yeah, I kind of, I kind of, I kind of see that. I mean, the tacos are super good, though. Just oh, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not upset <laughs> at all. Yeah, I think it actually does work pretty well with the uh, bacon wrapped dates again. And I will say, this is kind of a reverse of what I thought with the Pinot. I think the Lomo um, actually works a little bit better than the Copa. The Copa, where it was really kind of high tone in your face, it really worked well with the Pinot. Um, it's kind of the reverse, that sort of more subtle, more savory, that deeply salty um, Lomo is is really, I think, singing yeah. with the Monstrel. That duck ham. The duck ham sings with this wine because it gives the wine that earthy undertone that this wine being a little bit more fruit driven and not quite as not quite as earthy it kind of gives it that bottom wonderful note there that just pulls it kind of pulls down the wine and gives it a kind of gives it a grounding grounding pace to it yeah it's so yeah. good i think what was the last episode we did it was all about natural wine, if I remember correctly. Yeah, yeah, and we, we did said, natural wine. This is behind the scenes hot goss. <laughs> but I think we said kind of after we recorded, we said this was the um, the food was a ten, the mm-hmm. wines were like a four point five. Yeah, I gotta say, I think that this is like the perfect balance of like really great wine to really great food. Mm-hmm. That or at least the the best that you and I have ever done in our episodes. I, I I agree with you on that. I think when we did our natural wine episodes, we tried so hard to find very natural natural wines. Mm-hmm. Like very very true experiences of natural wine, which may not be the best natural wines that we that we could have pulled. I will say in defense of the episodes, you had some fantastic I think they were venison sliders. Yes. And those are still great. I think about them all the time. <laughs> and the French fries covered in um, fly by Jing hot sauce. Also oh fantastic. Gosh. Yes. I still think about that fly by Jing hot sauce. I've got so much more of it. Speaking of that, how do you think that fly by Jing hot sauce or those sauces would work with these wines? So when I was thinking about, when I was kind of saying, you know, red wines can handle spice. I think the Pinot is exactly the kind of thing that could do it. Yeah. Um, I don't know necessarily about the Juan Gil. It, it, it is a little, I think, higher in alcohol. It's yeah. a little more taut as far as that goes. So I'm not sure that that could do it, but there is this earthiness to the to the weights mass that I think could really handle, you know, a lot of, you know, Chinese chili crisp sauces, whether it's it's Fly by Jing or, or whatever your preferred brand is. Um, I would I would totally do that, especially I think if you did like um, another thing I've kind of gotten to recently is like making cold like soba noodles. Okay. So do that yeah. with like um, cold like chili oil or something as like the sauce. And so okay. it's, it's cold, but it's spicy, hot, mm-hmm. not too crazy spicy. Like I right. could absolutely see um, Pinot going so well with that. What do you think? So in that episode, going back to that episode, we had poutine. We did. With the French fries. And what? it was so great. I've had that poutine like four times since that episode. Really it is my new go-to order there. So what about poutine with fly by Jean? So you have something that grounds it a little bit, kind of pulls down that flavor, but also gets you out of that kind of heavy weightiness that poutine can have with either one of these ones. I mean, I would definitely try it. I will say, you know, that, and so we're talking about um, Flyway brewing company yeah. over in north little rock for those who are local um they have well, at least my favorite is their mississippi poutine 
So it's tater tots yeah. and it's it's gravy and it's pot roast. Yeah. So it's basically just like Sunday dinner at my mamaw's house. Yeah. Um, and the pot roast. You can tell I'm getting real Southern as so we talk about this. And it, well, here's the thing. They call it Mississippi pot roast. So mm-hmm. it, it has uh, banana peppers mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. some of that like light spiciness to it. Yes. So uh, that is my favorite thing that they make there. I Like I said, I have had this multiple it's times since we recorded the episode. Again, I think that's the kind of the perfect thing that, that this peanut would work well with because it's, it is got, got that savory, earthy, almost umaminess that that dish has in like truckloads. Yeah. But it's not spicy to the extent of like needing an off dry recently. Like you don't need spate lace to make your way through that dish. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it, it's more warming than spicy. Yeah. And then, you know, I don't even see it's like, it's the kind of warming like it's like campfire warming. Okay. Yeah. Like it's, it, does that make sense? Like it's yeah. it to me like we were there. Oh gosh, I think honestly like last week, you know, because it was like down to the eighties. Oh you know, my gosh! That's as it's so... like one hundred and two right now at seven o'clock at night. Eighties is amazing. No, oh, it got down in the seventies last week. But yeah, I mean, no, it was it was it was fantastic. Um, but yeah, we were there. We were in kind of their like their outdoor tent city area, just eating the poutine. Uh, I wish you could do corkage at their tent city area. <sighs> well, yeah. Dairy I mean, dream. you could. Well, here's the thing. When they close down the street again and they do the like entertainment. So it's an all time. It's an all time entertainment district down there. But when they close the street and they have the tables out there, you could bring your own bottle of wine, probably have crush open it. I see where you're going and with this. And then okay. get some poutine to go and sit out there on the street with it. Okay. And you could do that. That kind of thing. I uh, I will expect a calendar invitation from you for the next time that happens. <laughs> I'll um, have to figure it out with my round. But yeah, I mean, I, I it was it was fantastic. It was to me that's kind of like the perfect fall dish with these perfect fall wine. Okay. Yeah, I just think you know any type of poutine with that good gravy that gives you so much weight and so much earthy kind of flavors. I was just thinking even like standard standard poutine that just has the cheese curds and a good gravy on it. Throw that sh- that fly by some of that. There were two of them. There was one that was less spicy than the other. But I think we disagreed on which was less spicy. We, we did. I liked the darker colored one. I, I don't believe. know. Right? I don't, I don't <laughs> know. I have to go back to that episode. Anyway, I think one of those that has a little bit more of the umaminess to it would work really well just as another flavor for the poutine itself. I mean, we've I've got some at home. Like have, we can we can make this, this happen. Yeah, and we're you know, Jordan loves to make gravy, so we can we can definitely make some some good gravy. And you know, Thanksgiving is just around the corner. Thanksgiving just around the corner, but also, thank goodness, um, nobody hear this who uh, has, is in charge of meat prices. Short ribs have not gone up in price recently. Oh. They're still a pretty good buy. I mean, it's still, really, it's still really high for short ribs, but you can find like the big A meaty ones. Subi the crap out of them. Which, by the way, that was our backup if, the, if our duck didn't work well. We were going we to move the pork belly to the steam bun, and we were going to do barbacoa subi short ribs, which would have been amazing. Uh, which we'll probably do at some point anyway. But the next wine dinner, <laughs> the next wine dinner, or just you know, we have uh, 
we have a, a job move to celebrate that maybe we'll do a big uh, dinner for. But that kind of short rib gravy would be super good. Now, Absolutely. Br- if brisket would just come back down in price. Brisket brisket makes amazing gravy. From your lips to God's ears. <laughs> yeah. I can't believe brisket is like, some places it's like five bucks a pound. It's it's ridiculous. Yeah. It's, it's thanks Obama. Thanks. I don't even. I don't even know who to thank on that one. <laughs> uh, thank. Uh, no, I'll tell you this: who to thank? Thank Texas for that one because barbecue brisket got so popular. Oh, of course. That's so. Thank you, Texas. Thanks. Uh, Rick. Rick is a Rick Ashley. <laughs> I don't know who the governor of Texas is. I don't really care that that much. Oh, but... I tried to think about that, man. <laughs> anyway, uh, thanks, Frank. Yes. Thanks, thanks, Austin. Thanks, Franklin, for that one. But anyway, I digress. These wines are so good. Yes, both these wines just pair with air. Just they just pair so good. And with the Humboldt fog, that like earthy bottom no goat funkiness really pulls down the monstrel and just gives it. It just the monstrel just presents as, as fruit at this point. Yeah, I'm. I'm. Like I said, I'm just kicking myself for the fact that I've let it been so long since I've had this great wine. Yeah. And apparently now it's so cheap. Yeah. I'm, well, it's, it's always been, it's always been 15, 16 below. Really? Yep. Always. It's always been around that price. Like I, I for many a year, I sold it for about $21. <laughs> Whoopsie. It well, sold very well. I mean, so it sold very it well. So profit margins are amazing. Listen. But this wine, it, it's a fantastic wine. No matter what the price it is on the shelf, I would pay. I'd pay for it. Oh, absolutely. Because it, it's, it's such an easy drinker. And Spain, I think, you know, I think Spain, especially in our market, is, is a value region. Spain and Portugal is very a value region to go look and buy. Oh, absolutely. Especially in, in this market, you know. I think that's... One of the the great things about being in Arkansas, I think there there are a few, but you know, I think one of it is you know things are cheaper here. Yeah, you know, definitely. We're a state where the medium income is is thirty six thousand dollars, and and things are just cheaper here. Yeah, you know, great. until you get into the whiskey market. Okay, a, well, that's yeah. a whole other thing. The whiskey market's just dumb anyway. Yeah, I don't play that game. <laughs> I I do, and I lose every time. But I drink well, but I lose. <laughs> Well, so Seth, let's talk about some of your favorite bites tonight. What have been some of your favorite bites with each wine tonight? Um, okay, if I have to go with 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 my favorite from each wine for the Waits Mass Mariah Carey Vineyard, um, I have to go <laughs> with the truffle deviled egg. Um, mm-hmm. that was just phenomenal in a way. I I, I don't even like truffles. Um, yeah, but I tried it and I was shocked. Um, and I would say second place. Would be the um, the Copa, the Copa that was really good. Yeah, I think for me, with with your the weights bass, the Copa was the best. That tension, like you said, just kind of sang through, and was just really good. It was almost like they were. It's almost as if the the flavors were competing against each other, but mm-hmm. in the absolute possible best way. Yeah, best competition you can ever find. It reminds me, you know, speaking of Mariah Carey. I, this is probably not the cultural moment for you that it was for me. Hmm. 
But back in, I want to say this was 1998 or 9, Mariah Carey and Whitney Houston did a duet for the yeah. soundtrack of DreamWorks' Prince of Egypt. Yeah. The song There Can Be Miracles. I, I love that movie. So Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Like, two absolute titans of music coming together like is what that pairing reminds me because you have these two incredibly like they are similar in finesse and volume but mm-hmm. they don't sound anything alike um these two voices come together of, you know of mariah and whitney and this this pino and this this pork and they come together and it's just phenomenal there's just that right bit of crossover that just makes sense. Yes. And let's be how good was Prince of Egypt? Oh my god. Okay. Like, first of all, <laughs> first so of all, why has that not been turned into a musical uh, on Broadway? Like, oh, yeah. Really? It, okay, come on. It's so good. If that from that era of musical animated film, oh, and it's like, one of the best. Let's be clear. Moses was hot. Uh, he was. He was a very attractive Moses. It, that, if Jesus looked that hot on the crucifix. <laughs> A lot more people would be in church. Is all I'm saying. So, you know, speaking of other underfilmed, undervalued films from that time that are now coming, Hercules was from that same era. Oh, like Hercules. Those were like the two best musical animated films from that era, and they get like the least recognition. <laughs> okay, so this is a, a TMI for all the listeners. But I'm going to tell you the story. So, you know, the thing I love about like Disney animation from that era is. They really took a deep dive into each sort of like local culture. So if you look at yeah. Mulan, everything has this very sort of um, you can you can very clearly tell it's inspired by ancient Chinese art. Yeah. Same with um, so. same with Hercules. You know, it's it, very yeah. Grecian inspired, obviously. But just you know, even the way like the clouds are animated. Yeah. You know, there's and if you look at Hercules's nipples. The way they have this, like, almost like, it's almost like a Doric column spiral. Oh, my God. Let me tell you what. Nine-year-old Seth was paying attention. <laughs> that, that. Fantastic. <laughs> I still love her. It's still it's, my favorite Disney movie. And it, I mean, it's great. And it does not get the recognition that it deserves. You know, I was I was scrolling through TikTok the other day, and there was some musical teacher who was talking about how... Um, go the distance is one of the best it's like a perfect song because it matches like the octave jumps matches his journey through and where he is it's so it's such a good movie megs won't say i'm in love oh it's so good oh and i mean let's talk let's talk about the exposition in zero to hero (laughs) oh my i mean it is iconic yeah fantastic i love it absolutely (laughs) so now from from best animated musicals of the uh, of, of our childhood era back to best bites okay so going for the monastrel um i have to say for me it's probably going to be the duck ham you know this is a it was a it was a fine pairing with the pinot but out of all the charcuterie items on the plate like the duck ham was kind of the most um almost the most demure yeah and that really allowed the nuances of the monastrel to sing you kind of really allowed that the black tea note that strawberry note to really rise to the top yeah and whereas opposed a lot of the others i think sort of overpowered that yeah so and that was the that was the interesting thing as i was trying this i really thought the the beer taco was going to go go super well well okay let's be clear it's really delicious yeah it just didn't allow the monastrel to be all it could be exactly and that's kind of what i was that was my surprise because I really thought that they were gonna they were gonna be able to 
harmonize and do well, but the the beer taco just took over. They work. They work. They they're okay together. And same with the Humboldt Fog. They they add elements to that to the wine, but they none of it really had any sort of harmony, kind of pulled together. So I agree with you. Best bite on this plate with of our plates with the Monstrel is the duck ham. It added that bottom tone that the wine didn't have and just enough with that fattiness, just enough that to kind of connect it and really make it harmonious. And like you said, the duck ham has that flavor and it's unexpected. It's very light. It's, you would expect duck ham to have a lot more kind of boldness to it, but it doesn't. It's very kind of reserved. Mm-hmm. And it just kind of caught caught that wine a little bit and just melded so, so well together. So I'm going to agree with you. Your stuff was really good. The citrus, so surprisingly, the citrus pistachio salami was actually pretty good with the monastrel too. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, I know Seth has brought a wine for me to blind. So of that's course. Gonna, so Seth's going to go ahead and get that poured up and we'll go through that. All right. All right, so Seth has a wonderful wine poured up for me, and I am always a thousand percent more nervous when I blind in front of Seth than when I blind in front of anybody else. So why I would never throw you a curveball? No, I know you'll never throw me a curveball, but I know how we have broken apart my blindings before, and I always feel like gosh, should have gotten that. But anyway, here we go. Uh, this wine is a red wine. It- Wrong. No, it is red. <laughs> it is red, everybody. Trust me, I can. I'm not that drunk yet. Um, it is a dark hue that goes out to a kind of lighter style menis, a lighter colored meniscus. There is some light staining uh, in the tears. Seth previously has told me that I've had this wine before. Didn't you tell me that? Um, no, I've had this. So type of wine before. oh yeah you have definitely had this type of wine before. i've had this type of wine i haven't had th- i may not have had this wine before but uh let's the the tears on this are just kind of standard tears okay so there's definitely some like vitamininess there is some um, you say vitamin enus yes so like flintstones vitamins there's some of that kind of okay smell on this there's some kind of hay earthy kindness to this wine underneath it smells of more on the black fruit styles kind of blackberry black cherry smells with uh there's definitely like i said kind of a little bit of that barney stoniness underneath there almost maybe Maybe some flintiness, but not quite sure. It's def- it feels definitely driven by some of those earthy kind of vitamin qualities that I talked about. I'll go ahead and taste it now. Ooh, this wine is clean. The tannins feel. The tannins feel medium plus, almost a high. There is alcohol seems kind of that same medium to higher range. Acidity is I'd probably say medium plus up there as well. Definitely kind of making my mouth water, but it's it's competing with the dryness coming from the tannins. 
flavors of this wine. Ooh. Yeah. Acid's definitely up there. Tannins are definitely up there. Flavors in this wine, you still get that very earthy driven. I always get like kind of this like chewable, like 1980s chewable vitamin kind of flavor. Uh, there is kind of black fruit driven, blackberry, black cherry, almost, almost cassisi nits, but it's definitely driven by that those earthy, stony kind of flavors. Yeah, the fruit's a little bit overripe here. There's some definitely flower, more dried kind of flowers in there, but that kind of dusty earthiness is is kind of driving the bus here with the, like I said, the dried flowers, and yeah, uh, there's definitely oak usage. Um, it's light. No, it's 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 kind of prevalent, so there's probably some new and, and older you old her oak usage. Okay, so getting kind of down to the brass tacks of this wine. I think this wine is more of an old world style wine, tending to the that more kind of earthy vitamininess uh, coming in front of the of the fruit. Uh, I think with possible countries, we're looking at Italy, Spain, maybe. Yeah, I'm just going to try to stand at Italy and Spain. We'll go ahead and throw in France for good measure. Possible grape varieties here. We're looking at Tempranillo. We're looking at Grenache. We're looking at Syrah. So I'm going to go ahead and throw out Italy because I don't actually think it's Italy. It doesn't really taste like a Sangiovese style grape. To me, there's a lot more bodiness and earthiness going on to it than, and not enough fruit. And the right, and it's not like a hotter characteristic. Did you say it's? Did you say it's got a hotter characteristic? Yes. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It just feels. It feels warmer mm-hmm. than I would say, like a Chianti. And it, the, it gets the, very hot where this is grown. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so there's a. And your belt. guesses are quite cool. And one of the guesses is not. One of the, there's a large part of one of the countries that I said is not cool. Maybe you just want to <laughs> rethink this. <laughs> this is what this is why I always get nervous at the beginning of a tasting with Seth because I go down the road and then I get to this point and I I veer offward. I want you to be so on the road. I want you to be in the parking lot. <laughs> I know, but I. I okay, so I I'm at the point that this tastes like a Spanish wine. Like, it reminds me of some of the Spanish wine that I've had before that's hot. And that's why I'm thinking, like, Tempranillo or some of, like, the warmer warmer climate ganaches. But that seems to be, from what you've said, is very not right. The only other place, based on what you said, it, that could be going is Chile. Okay, no, so let's look at the word only in that sentence. <laughs> no, from, from what I've tasted. So that's walk me back to me your there. fruit notes. The fruit What was the first fruit you said? Black cherry. And you said something. And blackberry. Those are the fruits that I said. No, you said a, th- you said a third one. Oh God, I don't even remember at this point. I didn't say cassis. You did. No, I didn't. You said cassis-ish. 
did not sing. This you absolutely did. Roll the tape back. I will. Ro- I will edit this and roll the tape back, and we will, we will see that I did not say Cassisish. Listener, now that you know that I'm right because you've just heard him say Cassisish, Cassis-ish. Or you said so, that okay. current-ish. I, whichever one you said. I don't think I said either one of them. Okay, so if if that's the note that I'm going down, then we're talking about. Cabernet. <laughs> Who can say? <laughs> Cabernet. Then we're gonna go down a Cabernet route from a warm, from a hot or warm climate. Then that's gonna be New World. Cab. Is it? Yes. <laughs> most of the most of the cab, a warmer or hot climate Cabernets come from New World, which at that point we're looking at Chile or we're looking at California or Australia. But I don't think we're going to Australian Cabernet on this. So, ooh. okay, New World Cab <clears throat> from a hot, hot or are you warm or hotter climate? This is why I hate tasting with you. Which is why, which is every time I taste with you, I know I need to do more academic tastings, and which I will hopefully do more of uh, in the coming months. Okay, so let me taste this, and I, got, I swear to you, if it's fucking Mavic, I'm gonna like scream. <laughs> I don't even fucking know anymore. You know what? We'll just say it's Chilean cab, just to get just to get off the just to get off get off of this get off of this plane. I'm gonna say it's Chilean cab. You, wonderful listener, are gonna have kind of have to come back next week to find out what we're doing and dad is going to reveal this wonderful wine to you because he should be back and it'll be a beer week so we are going to do pale ale and you Uh, get to find out what they thought of my wine dinner oh yeah well uh i'm sure we'll definitely talk about that wonderful wine dinner that seth is going to do for us coming up here in a couple days uh from when we have recorded this so we're going to be doing pale ales and you'll have to come back and watch the Instagram because remember we're out there on all the socials, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, um, and see oh, also on TikTok. And uh, <laughs> very, very not active enough on TikTok yet. Are you on OnlyFans yet? No, <laughs> we uh, we do not have uh, wine only fans yet. But uh, we're out there on the socials. Follow us. If you like what we're doing, remember, please, to give us that like, subscribe, or follow, whatever your favorite podcast platform does. We would love to have a rating or in some stars from you so you know, so we know what you like and not. It also is a great way for us to be noticed by other people. And also the best way for us to be noticed is for you to tell your friends about us. So, Seth, wonderful episode. Oh, thank you. It's oh, fantastic to be here as always. We should do this again all the time. I always love having you on a show. So maybe maybe one of these days we'll split off and do our own. Maybe if we'll we split must. off and do our own thing. Yeah. But uh so anyway, well once again I'm Josh Mills. And I'm John Mills. <laughs> and we'll see you next time. Bye bye.